Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We exist to bring you life-changing and life-giving content to help you on your lifelong journey with Jesus. To learn more about who we are, visit accesschurch.com. That's access spelled A-X-E-S-S. Let's jump right into it. Well, let's go ahead and get started today uh, with our message. Just a quick recap from last week. We started a new series called Messy Beginnings. And so we are now picking up in our second week. But last week we talked about the introduction was just a very simple truth from Scripture that we often maybe overlook or or, or don't realize how it, it works in everyday uh, church, but the Spirit has to be manifested through us. Um, it was basic theology for Paul and the, the churches that he taught, but the Spirit has to be manifested. And I used the illustration of electricity and how electricity in itself has all the power, everything that's needed, but it has to be expressed through an object, through an appliance, through a light, through something. And if someone were to walk into our church and say, how do I know the electricity is on? Well, we would probably point to many visible things and say, this is how we know the electricity is working because of this, this, and that. And in the same way, if someone were to say, how do we know the Spirit is moving among you? How do we know the Spirit is manifesting among you? We have to be able to point to something and say, this is how we know the Spirit is manifesting among us because of that and that and that right there. The Spirit has to be manifested. Today, I want to uh, move on to, I think, a logical next uh, subject, which comes from the Apostle Paul and comes from a, a common illustration that he used, which was Paul often talked about being members of one body. Being members of one body. And we find this uh, a few times in Scripture, but prominently it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. So that's going to be uh, our first text today. So if you want to go ahead and, and turn to 1 Corinthians 12 there. As you turn there, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. How many of you have heard this illustration before from the Apostle Paul? It's very well known. He used it a lot. His imagery was, was of the human body. One body with many members, arms, legs, neck, ears, eyes, mouth, all these different parts, when they come together, form a body. We ourselves, right here in Glen Ellen, we are many members that form one new body. Now, something interesting that I was thinking about when I was studying this is that with the Corinthians, when Paul said, you are many members of one body, he probably wasn't talking about the body of Christ at large, 
meaning every single church, but he was probably talking about the Corinthian church specifically. And he was saying, each one of you together are the body of Christ in Corinth. So it was a locational, geographic representation of Christ through the many members. And I was thinking, it's unique for us because we were all members of different bodies. And we all came to this body here in Glen Ellen. And we formed a new body, a new representation of Christ right here in Glen Ellen. So now we formed a new body among us by coming together. Um, this means that if we are a new body in Christ, this means that we need to learn how to work together in a new way. That's part of why this is included in the series called Messy Beginnings. It's like a child learning to walk. They, they, they've never used it before, so they got to coordinate the legs and the arms and, and the hips and all the motions together. And we are doing the same thing right now here in Glen Ellen. We are coordinating ourselves. And let me tell you this. We're starting to find our rhythm here. We're, fi- we're finding our rhythm. I can see it happening. We're starting to find our stride, the direction that we are moving in together. But sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes we trip and fall. Sometimes we trip ourselves. You ever trip yourself? Your leg gets caught behind your other leg and no one did it to you. You did it to yourself. Messy beginnings. So let's talk about what it means to be many members of one body today. So what exactly constitutes the body of Christ? Is it anybody who shows up to church that day? I think that's interesting to think about. Is it anybody who shows up to church on any given Sunday? Are they now included in what we would say the body of Christ? Are they now a member of that body? Well, I think Paul gives us a litmus test for this. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And then he goes on to say, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So in the context of this many members forming one body, he includes something that was highly experiential in the commonality part. He says the reason we know that we are all one body and all members of this body is because of, and he lists specifically, we were all baptized by one spirit, And this led to the formation of one body. And then he goes and says, we were all given the one spirit to drink. And we have this in common. But it was something that was past tense. That had already happened. We were given. We were baptized. We were formed into one body. So Paul points them to a past common experience as as the unifying piece of their congregation together. The body is a people who have the common experience of the Spirit as our connecting point. I think this is what Paul is saying here. The body is a people who have the common experience of the Spirit as our connecting point. You know what that means? Everyone's got a testimony. Everyone's got a testimony about what the Spirit has done in their life. That is what every member of the body has in common. We can share, this is what the Spirit has done in my life. 
He goes on to say, uh, he talks about Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free. Specifically, uh, he says, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, this was really profound. If you were sitting in Corinth when this letter came from Paul, and it's read aloud, and you hear this phrase, this was very significant. Because in the body, in Corinth, you had Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free. They were all represented. And what was happening is, and unfortunately this is what happens even to this day, the world has not changed, we find ways to divide ourselves We find ways to classify ourselves and to lift one class above another or push another class down based on some kind of broad definition. And this is what was happening in Corinth. And Paul was saying, we got to put an end to this. And this is why we need to put an end to to this. You're being carnal in the way that you're viewing these things. You're, You're working by a worldly metric system, a worldly standard, and it's leading to division among you, which is not appropriate in the body of Christ. And this is what Paul says to them. Jews, Gentiles, slave, and free is no longer the point of difference or commonality in the body. It is no longer the thing that you relate to one another over. Oh, you're a Jew just like me? Okay, we have something in common. Oh, you're free just like me? Okay, we have something in common. Paul's saying this is no longer the thing that you say, oh, yeah, we share that in common. Now there's only one thing that we share in common, and it's that we've been blessed by the Spirit in our lives. Now something I I do want to point out, and this is important, is that Jew, Gentile, slave, or free, it was no longer the point of commonality. But I don't think Paul would ever condone saying that we need to throw away our cultural heritage or our cultural background. I think those things are important for us. I think it's important for us to know who we are, where we've come from, all those things. I don't think Paul was saying you no longer identify with your cultural background. I don't think it's that. But I think he's saying that can no longer be greater than our primary point of connection, which is our experience with the Spirit of God. That has to be above all. You can hold on to the cultural, but it cannot surpass the spirit experience of all of us. There's only one commonality, he says, the baptism, being baptized in the spirit. So I put a list together just because I was thinking, what are some things that I think in the scripture we should say, these are common experiences that, that everyone would have in the body of Christ. Well, one of them is actually water baptism. In Acts 2.38, you don't have to turn there. I'm just, I'll give you references if you want to write them down. But in Acts 2.38, Peter, immediately when the, when the people in the crowd said that they wanted to believe, they said, what is next? His response was, be baptized in water. Repent, believe, and be baptized in water. So this was an immediate act that was to take place. And I think that when Paul talks about the spirit that you were baptized uh, with, this goes into that as water baptism is actually a common experience that everybody in the body of Christ should have. And uh, recently we just did a baptism uh, service with, with the youth back, back at Hobson Community Church. And 
And one of the things I address with them, and I think it's relevant for us today, is that many times we hear all the time as pastors, I don't think I'm ready for baptism yet. But scripturally, there's no, there is only one ready. It's the moment you confess. The moment you confess, you are ready for baptism. And in Scripture, it's fascinating because the people seem to understand the significance of it because they want to get baptized as quickly as possible. Think about the eunuch that Philip stopped on the road. He literally, it was the eunuch that said, there's a body of water, let's stop and let me be baptized. It wasn't even Philip's idea because he understood the importance of, oh, this means that I am a part of this new body that you are speaking of. I'm a part of this church that you are speaking of because I'm baptized in water after my confession. So water baptism is important. Another common experience is that of just eternal life. Eternal life is not something that happens after you die. Eternal life happens the moment you place your faith in Christ. The eternal life is the God kind of life. And so I think a common experience for every believer is that we can say, I have tasted of the God kind of life right here in right now. A third one is this, spirit conviction and repentance. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. Paul specifically says, we know the spirit. We know that God has chosen you. And the first thing he references is because, he says, because you experienced great conviction from the spirit, which led to your repentance. This is something that every part of the body, every member of the body should have in common is Spirit conviction that leads to repentance. Yes, there's the initial time where we initially say, I repent of my old lifestyle. I've turned over to Jesus. But repentance and conviction is an ongoing thing in the Christian life. And look, it, it's a good thing. It is not a negative. You know why? Because being convicted by the Spirit means that you are hearing the voice of God. You are checking your life on a daily basis. And you're reorienting with the way of God. Day in and day out, repentance is a good thing. It's a common thing for those in the body of Christ. The, the a fourth one is this, knowing the power of the Spirit. Paul says it right after the Spirit of, uh, when he says you were convicted by the Spirit and you repented, he also says that you experienced the power of the Spirit. And I leave that open-ended because I never want to make someone feel like because they haven't experienced a specific thing in the Spirit that they somehow are not part of the body of Christ. So I leave it very vague. I think Scripture leaves it vague too. But I think that in general, as I mentioned, we should be able to say, this is how I've experienced the, the power of the Spirit in my life, how He has changed me, transformed me, equipped me, called me out of this and led me into that. It's the power of the Spirit at work in my life. And the last one is this. It uh, comes from Romans 5, 5, which uh, I believe says that he poured out the, the love of God. The Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. So I think a common experience is that we've experienced the transformative love of the Father in our lives. That's, that should be a common experience, and I think a foundational experience for all of us as believers. Uh, recently, I, was, I, I do film work, and, and we were filming with some, some different authors, and one of them came in and, and gave like the three core uh, tenets of discipleship, and it was uh, loving others. Um, I can't remember what the other two were, but I remember after he left, I turned to my partner. I said, it's interesting that being loved by God wasn't included in that because I think that's actually a, that's a foundational aspect of discipleship is actually being loved by God because Scripture says that you cannot love God until you are first loved by God. 
And so we need to learn how to receive the love of God and experience the love of the Father first. This should be a common experience. So anyways, I just wanted to give that list as kind of a, you know, when we talk about what we share in common, I think these are some things that we can safely say this is what we should, we should be looking for. And here's something that's, that's interesting about commonality, and I've noticed this in my own life, uh, and I know all of you have probably seen this in one way or another if you think about it, uh, but for me, it's, it's golfing, so I, I love to golf, but I've noticed that every time I meet somebody else that likes to golf, one of the first things that I will do is I will try to say, hey, let's go golf sometime, because I've discovered something that we have in common, and so my next step is to say, let's now recreate that. Let's now experience that together. Let's, let's now do it. So that's the power of commonality is when you start to see what you have in common, you know what you do? Let's do it now together. So when the body of Christ comes together and says, I've experienced the power of the Spirit in my life, I've, I've experienced the love of the Father poured out into my life, what do we say? Well, now let's do it together. Now let's do it together. Because commonality, when you find it, you begin to seek or of it among yourselves. The Corinthians, they were focused on how they could be different and elevated above each other, but Paul was trying to focus them on the important thing, which is the experience of the Spirit that they have in common. And also, commonality also becomes our invitation. Uh, this is a cultural thing that's really important. Commonality is what you're going to invite people into when they come here. So when guests, first-time guests come to Access Church, when people who aren't believers come to Access Church, what we hold in common is what we are going to promote and seek more of in our gathering is also going to be the same things that we invite people into when they come into this place. So that's why it's important as the body of Christ that we seek more of what we have in common. All right, I want to shift gears here and go to a Romans 12. So if you want to turn to Romans 12, apparently all the, the one body uh, and many members is just in chapter 12 in, in whatever Paul wrote. So back to Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. I just want to read this over you as you get there. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So we all know Romans 12, 1 through 3, we know the, the very well-known saying, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul, he continues on with this key word in those first three verses, which is think. Think. Because the mind thinks. He's talking about the renewal of the mind. And so he continues on, and he gives them one specific way that they should think. One specific way they should think. And he says, I'll read it and then I'll, I'll give. He says, um, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather 
Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. So Paul says they should think in terms of the faith that God had distributed to each one of them. Well, what is this faith that Paul is talking about? Well, the key word there, as he said, it was distributed to each one of them. The faith is something that had been divided equally among them for their use. And the only time he says to think of themselves is in order to see how they can serve others. Isn't that interesting? Just be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says, don't think of yourself more highly than others. But when you do think of yourself, think of yourself in terms of what God has given to you. That's the first thing that Paul talks about after he says, be ye renewed in your mind. It's not only that, but Paul says to think of yourself in accordance with the faith as in this. See yourself in terms of what you bring to the body of Christ. I think this is what Paul is saying to them. Because he says, don't elevate yourself among one another. Do not try to find something that you are better at than somebody else and make it your identity. But he says, with sober judgment, think about what has been given to you and think of yourself in those terms. Which means when you come to the body of Christ, you are thinking, how can I be used by God? That is the renewed mind. Because the renewed mind looks for ways to serve others with the gifts that God has given to them. Isn't it interesting that's the first thing that Paul talks about with thinking? After he says, be renewed in your mind? It's that. Be renewed. And what happens is, you will begin to see yourself as an instrument in God's hand. That's what the renewed mind sees. And then Paul goes on to give all of these, if it is, then, statements. And at first, when I used to read this, I thought the repetition was was unnecessary. I didn't get it. He would basically say, if that's your gift, then do it. I'm like, doesn't that seem kind of self-explanatory? Like, if it's my gift, then yeah, obviously, I'll do it. But there's a reason why Paul needs to say it to us. You know why? Because we have trouble doing it. We have trouble doing it. So he's reminding them, you may know what your gift is. Now go and do it. Do it in the body of Christ for the sake of those who are around you. Paul is saying, don't tell somebody about it. Show them. This is a show. I was going to say this is tell, show and tell. But that is, no, it's just show. That's what it is. Show what God has given to you. Paul is saying, if that's your gift, then do it. Then do it. Your gift isn't helpful to anyone if you just talk about it. It's only helpful when you begin to operate in it. That's where the benefit comes in. Uh, something that I've found uh, uh, helpful, if you're thinking right now, maybe you've been saved for a long time or even recently saved, and you're like, I know my gifts, don't know my gifts, wherever you find, or wherever you find yourself on that continuum, something that I've found very helpful is actually uh, gift tests and strength finders are very helpful for that. Uh, there's actually, I, I, I'm putting together, it's not done yet, 
but I'm putting together a page on the website that's just going to be accesschurch.com gifts. And on that, I'm going to start to build out resources uh, for all of us to explore what it looks like to walk in the gifts. And what part of that is going to be, I'll find some free gift uh, 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 finder surveys that you can do. And there's one I've already found that, that's very good. Uh, it fits us very well. It includes, you know, all the gifts of the Spirit on there. It doesn't eliminate some of them like some of the other tests do. Um, it's about 70 questions. Um, it goes by quick. But it really gives a good idea based on how you, if you answer honestly, you have to answer honest. Um, yeah, because sometimes we like put the, what we think is the right answer in there, and then we end up skewing the whole thing. Um, but if you're honest, it'll give you a pretty good idea of like four areas where you're probably gifted by God. So that's one good way. Another good way is honestly just to ask the people around you that you trust, especially in the body of Christ, and say, hey, where do you see me at my strongest? Like, where do you see me at my, my strength? Because for, for us, sometimes it's, it's hard to actually see where we're strong because it's just commonplace for us. Right? We're, just, we're just being us. But others can usually accurately say, actually, I, I, where you're most gifted is when you do this. Right? When, you, when, you are, when you have a microphone in your hand or where you're praying for somebody, whatever, and you can begin to see just through the eyes of everybody else in the body of Christ uh, where, where you are gifted. So I'll let you know when, when that page uh, gets up. So there are three places in Scripture that Paul talks about this uh, one body with, with many members illustration. He does it in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 12, which we've talked about, does it in Romans 12, and then he does it in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I'm going to step on some toes here for a second. Uh, many times, these are broken up into different categories. Uh, maybe you've heard there's the, the manifestational gifts. There's the, uh, that's in 1 Corinthians 12. There's the motivational gifts, which is in Romans 12. Then you have the ministerial gifts, which is in Ephesians 4. And, and I think that there's a place for that, that it's helpful to break those up into categories to kind of help us to see different ways that the gifts uh, can be used in the body of Christ. But something I do want to point out to you that is, that is interesting is Paul's use in the Greek for these different gifts of the Spirit and manifestations and stuff is actually very fluid throughout those three different lists that he gives. Uh, another thing, too, that one of uh, my, my professors pointed out in seminary he wrote all the gifts from these different lists on the board, and, and this is what he said. He said, if we make a list like this out of everything that Paul wrote, we then create one list that Paul never gave us all at once. And there's something significant to that, because I think that Paul, when he was using these different examples of manifestations of the gifts, he was doing it contextually. Because in Corinthian, and in Corinth, they were having a huge problem with specific gifts they were elevating among the rest. That's why Paul has to say prophecy is the greatest gift among you because he, they were getting all out of whack with the way they were using the gifts in their, in their gatherings. So Paul was using a specific set of gifts that was, it was uh, contextual to what was happening in, in Corinth. But what he does in Romans is actually interesting because he kind of uses a little bit of that and then a little bit of what's from Ephesians because he wasn't just talking about what they were doing wrong. He was just saying, overall, what God has gifted you to do, do. And so he's saying, here's a few examples of what that looks like. And the reason why I bring all of this up is that the variety, the composition, and the application of God's working among us is limitless. It's limitless. 
I've often wondered, uh, as I started to learn the basics of, of music and, and, and music theory and stuff, there's only so many chords that you can play on the piano. And I started thinking to myself, like, are we ever going to just run out of music someday? Like, there's, there's only so many keys on that piano. Is it ever going to happen? Well, I did research, and apparently there are 82 quadrillion possible melodic permutations. 82 quadrillion. As in, we're never going to run out of possibilities with, with music. I, have no, I literally have no idea. I don't know. Um, and the, the, the point is this. I think Paul was using these gifts just saying, look, God works among you in many different ways. In many different ways. And you know what else is really cool about that? The way that God moves among us is going to be different than how he does it even two blocks down the street at another church. Not because it's a different God, but because we all have different mixtures of gifts. It's like different songs. Like all of us are a different song. And we all come together and it's this beautiful melody unto God. And it's different than down the street. And that's why it's, it's, even, it's even a little bit concerning when we compare ourselves to other churches. Because we aren't that church and they aren't us. And it's not a competition thing. We're all in the body of Christ. Let's just do what God's called us to do faithfully. Let's just show up and be used by God. So for, for all of us, I think the, the exhortation is simple, is be used by God in the way that he has uniquely gifted to you. Just be used by God in the way that he has gifted to you. No combination is greater than another one. They all have different applications. I was just telling my mom in the hallway, I, I, did a, uh, I was filming a, an all-women's conference, and, and the worship leader they had, uh, the way that the Spirit uses him is he would sing he would sing prophetically, but then when he got a prophetic word for somebody, he wouldn't speak it over them. He, he said that God sings the prophecy through him. That's how, right? How unique. God mixed together a prophetic gift and a gift of worship, and that's, the, that's how it manifested, was singing prophetically over someone. What's to say that God can't blend some unique gifting in us that comes out in a unique way? Right here in Glen Ellen and Exodus. No matter the working, it all makes up one picture in the end, and that's Christ. That's the whole point, is that Christ would be made known. You know, something, all these different gifts that Paul does lift off, list off, they were all things that Jesus did. You ever notice that Jesus operated in every single gift? He was an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He had the gift of healing, of prophecy, of all this stuff. He was all of it. So where are these gifts coming from? It's the Spirit distributing amongst us everything that Jesus walked in. So how much more important is it for us to step up and be used by God? Because when we're all used by God, you know who's manifested among us? Jesus. Right here. Right here among us. We all walk in the gifts. 